What's up, Predators? Thanks for tuning in to the audio portion of the Smasher Pass broadcast with Travis and Dean. If you want to catch the video portion of it whenever we go live, check it out on YouTube at Apex Predator Outdoors and at Lung Crusher 53. Whenever we go live there, you can comment and be part of the show live. Comment and talk to our guests and uh, be a part of the show. So if you want to check it out, again, go check it out at Apex Predator Outdoors or Lung Crusher 53 at YouTube and be part of the show and also guys go ahead and subscribe and like and hit that little notification bell so you can be reminded whenever we post new episodes of the show and also subscribe to the feed here wherever you're listening to it so you can make sure that you never miss a new episode thanks predators and as always keep defying the odds what is going on predators it's travis here with apex predator outdoors we also got dean with us here and in just a few minutes we're going to have uh wade skiing with skiing uh hunt dogs and outfitters uh we're going to jump us jump in here with us and we're going to talk a little bit about uh about hunting in kansas about waterfowl about training dogs about all of this kind of stuff so uh stay tuned with us as we jump in here to that but first we're going to talk a little bit between dean and i about his uh experience out there at skiing and uh you know how everything went so Dean, Mr. Lung Crusher 53, what's going on, brother? Yeah, I'm excited to have a way I'm in technical difficulties here. Black. It's always to the left. There's a couple of different routes you can go. You can either you know, stay there in their I call it class, uh, or you can rent your own your own hotel if you'd like. But if, if you go, know, uh, you break it up there a little bit. Kind of frozen on my end. So yeah, we've uh, like I said, I've only been out uh, like I said with Dean at one time. They're doing you know some waterfowl hunting in uh, southern Louisiana there. So um, it's, it's been this whole thing's been a new experience for me. But uh, Dean has been hunting uh, and uh, shooting waterfowl for 20, 30 years. Is that right, Dean? Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. It, uh, just man, I like I like I like being miserable and. Nope. Yeah, it's on my ear too, man. Yep. I think we lost the again here. Oh, okay. Nope. I can hear you, but you're frozen and <laughs> <laughs> you, sound, you sound like a robot like uh, from the 1980s and like your phone off for wi-fi you know? <laughs> yeah i did i just did it. i just turned everything off the uh if that hopefully that helps a little bit i turned all everything else off to just... well, let's see i think we got wade here let's jump on with wade here Hey, what's going on, Wade? You able to hear us? All right, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. So we have <clears throat> technical, technical difficulties on Dean's side. He's, I think, it's, like I said, his Wi-Fi dropping out. But uh, 
Hey, uh, how you doing today, man? I am good. I pulled the uh, the time change. Oops, <laughs> and I was uh, I was looking I was looking at the the clock in my truck, uh, thinking I had an hour until it was time to record. And then I was on the phone with my brother, and he said, "Hey, uh, you might want to jump on that podcast. It's three fifty-seven. And I was like, "Yeah, I guess I should have updated the clock in my truck." So I'm sitting out by my barn. I was about to just uh, drop a trailer off of my off of my truck. I was like, "Oh crap! Let me jump in here real quick." So here I am. Oh man, it's good to talk to you. Like I say, I know uh, Dean come out there with you and done some hunting this year, and uh, uh, had he showed me all the pictures. Man, I wish I could have come out there. I ended up having to some work commitments and stuff like that, but. Uh, uh, Let's see. Come on back, Dean. Where'd you go? Anyways, uh, but yeah, man, like I say, we uh, just so if you want to just tell people a little bit about yourself, about your company and uh, what all you guys do. Absolutely. So I'm Wade Skeen, um, originally from Grenada, Mississippi. That's actually what I'm what I'm doing today is getting ready to drive down there tomorrow morning for turkey opener down there. But um, got stationed up here in kansas in the air force about 11 years ago and really liked it so much i decided that i wasn't going to leave here and um as i got closer to retirement time had a had a buddy of mine bring up starting start my own outfit out here and taking people duck hunting and then training dogs in the spring and the summertime and i kind of liked that idea and as as time got closer and i started seeing if that was like a realistic option. I did a little guiding part-time for, for other people and did it on my own a little bit uh, while I was still in the Air Force and <clears throat> really enjoyed it even more than just hunting, not guiding. So decided to uh, retire from the Air Force and start guiding full-time and kind of going. We just finished up our third third season, uh, you know, a month and a half ago and uh, went really really well and kind of enjoying it and living the dream honestly that's awesome man that's uh kind of a aspiration of mine too is to you know kind of become uh self-sufficient as far as being outdoors and uh you know being in the hunting industry as well and that's you know it's that's a that's a big leap to take man you know it, um so whenever you you started doing this like you say you said like let me start this off what how what was your process there i mean just like start advertise yourself start taking out friends or how'd you get into that yeah i had i had already kind of developed some some relationships with with people um for i have four or five years uh before i retired from the air force i had uh people that i that i knew through social media whether it was dogs or talking about duck hunt things like that would reach out and ask to asked to come out here and hunt and you know most of the time when they did i told them yeah and i kind of kind of was guiding even before i was guiding because i was always taking somebody out and um as a, as as that grew and expanded you know started doing that with some some companies and things like that like cornerstone gundog academy is one that i had you know had a relationship with prior to guiding that they'd come out here and hunt with me and you know as that as that happened, it kind of grew my presence uh, in some circles in on social media and things like that. And um, you know, like I said, I already had that already had that demand rolling for taking people out hunting. So it wasn't 
it wasn't a huge transition for me. Um, and I, and I already taken people out, um, part-time anyway. So it wasn't, it wasn't too big of a transition for me when it, when it came that time. And I don't think it, I don't think it caught very many people by surprise that already knew me, um, (laughs) when I decided to go that route. That's good, man. So, like I say, you started training dogs. My one question is because, like you say, you can't just use any dog for it, right? You got to have – I'm sure there's, like, certain breeds and things. I mean, if you're really, really good, you could probably train a chihuahua to go uh, do <laughs> some of what you need to do. But uh, uh, this one thing has been curious I've, – I've really been curious about is, like, how do you select the dog? Do you have to select by temperament, by breed? What are your kind of – whenever you're training a dog to do waterfowl and up and bird hunting, what do you look for? Well, I mean, there's there's two different schools of thought on that. So first first school of thought is is get a breed specific to what you do most. Okay. So like if you're gonna if you know you're gonna waterfowl hunt forty five days out of the year and you're only gonna, you know, upland hunt five times, get a dog that's more suited for retrieving that's gonna be able to deal with that cold water and, and those conditions. So get you a lab, get you a Chesapeake Bay retriever something like that. If you're going to do primarily upland hunting and you're only going to waterfowl hunt a few days a year, then get you a pointer, get you a, you know, get you a short hair or a wire hair or, or you know, whatever your, your flavor of pointer is. Um, <laughs> if you're somebody that you think you're really going to do it a lot, but it's going to be a good mix of the two. Um, my two recommendations on that are either go with the lab um, I, I really like British labs for upland hunting because they're kind of slow and methodical anyway, or mm. the other option is a wire hair, um, draw hard, you know, whatever, whichever route you want to go in that scenario, you know, they seem to be the best suited pointer for waterfowl hunting. Um, now there's still a dog that's bred to be really active and mobile and things like that and that's where you run into issues when you're trying to turn a pointer into a a waterfowl dog they're just not built to sit on a place board for you know several hours at a time um and not gonna say nobody's dog does it because they do exist um but it's not super common so uh, you're you're fighting you're fighting genetics trying to do that so um you know so look at it and see what your priority is. And if your priority is waterfowl, you know, I would definitely, there's a reason Labrador retrievers are as popular as they are. Um, you know, Chessies can make for some great retrievers. Boykins can make for some great retrievers. There's other dogs out there, but the odds are in your favor when you're looking at labs. And then, you know, the other thing is if you're, if you're going to get a dog, do your research, reach out to people that you know, that you trust, um, that can kind of give you some some pointers on it because, um, you know, you get people that get lucky and, and get a $500 Walmart parking lot lab or something like that. It turns into a good duck dog, but you're not putting the odds in your favor. You're not getting health testing out of that. You're not getting proven, you know, generations worth of, of proven hunting pedigrees. Uh, you know, you need to be looking for, you need to be looking for hunt test titles, um, Field trial titles. I'm I'm kind of torn on the whole field trial thing because I, a lot of the dogs in the field trial game are so high drive that that they don't always make 
the best companions in a duck blind, but, um, you know, try to try to get as much personal one-on-one experience with those lines as you can. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of British dogs for my personal dogs, uh, mm-hmm. just because they tend to be a little bit calmer around the house and in the truck and, um, you know, sitting still and quiet in the duck blind and, you know, not to say there's not some American field trial lines out there that, that do yeah. a good job of that. Cause there are, um, they do exist, but as a person that's just buying one dog, you need to do everything you can to put the odds in your favor that that one dog's going to do what you need it to do. Um, otherwise you're going to be stuck with a dog that is not fun to hunt with for the next 10 years, or you're going to end up getting another dog because that one doesn't do what you want it to do. So. Do do research is spend the money. You know, that a lot of people look at it and they're like, well, I can get this dog for $800 versus spending, you know, 2000 or 2,500 for this dog or something. There's a reason those dogs cost so much. That's those breeders are putting years and years and years of, of breeding expertise into that. And, you know, you're probably going to get the odds in your favor a lot better when you, when you look at those high end breeders like that. Yeah. So what you're saying is I can't train my German, German shepherd to be a, a duck dog very well. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, people do it. It happens. Um, uh, it definitely happens. So never say never in the dog world. That's something you'll learn real quickly. Um, because as soon as, as soon as you say my dog will never do this or there will go nevering all over the place. So, you know, there, there's outliers there, but, yeah, As somebody that's just buying one dog, I definitely. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. So another question I get a lot too. Well, uh, I'd actually ask this question a lot too. Whenever I started getting into uh, waterfowl hunting, and uh, Dean kind of got me into that. We did our first uh, waterfowl hunt, uh, my first waterfowl hunt, our first together in uh, Southern Louisiana, and I'm kind of getting out there. I have an uncle who uh, used to guide and stuff like that, and uh, down here in Texas, and. Uh, the, a lot, whenever you're talking like specifically, I guess more waterfowl, uh, what kind of gun, what kind of gauge shotgun do you use whenever you're going out there hunting? Does it really depend on the game? Does it depend on the area? I guess. So I know like a lot of people are debating, like there's a lot of people now that are moving, going back to like a 20 gauge instead of a 12 gauge. And there's some people it's just like all day long, 12 gauge, no questions asked. It's just the best, you know, one size fits all thing. So what are your, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Oh, man. I've become a big fan of the 20 gauges. Um, I shot a, you know, 12 gauge for 30 years from the time, maybe not 30, maybe 25. Um, but I, with today's ammo and it being so good, um, I have really got where I love shooting a 20 gauge, uh, you know, probably shoot. Oh, three cases of shells of a waterfowl season and shooting that lighter, lighter load, lighter gun. I really, I really just enjoy it more. And, um, you know, and I've shot everything from resident honkers that are, you know, 10, 12, 13 pounds all the way down to teal and, and quail with it. And it, it does everything I need it to. And it's lighter, more comfortable, um, easier to, easier to haul around lug lug around for walking six or eight miles chasing pheasants or quail um i i'm a big fan of it i shoot a 300 beretta um ultima in 20 gauge and it does everything i need it to do yeah i was i was really shocked i've got uh i've got two shotguns right now 
uh, neither of them are really ideal for any of this, but uh, it's just stuff I, I either inherited or something I bought. I had a buddy of mine that had this old shotgun. It's a 20 gauge uh, uh, Maverick 88. You know, and I, I did my first duck hunting with that. And I was like, dude, this is like the greatest thing to be able to say that, like, you know, you don't need this top dollar, most expensive thing, like a 20 gauge. This thing's like $150 shotgun, $200 shotgun <laughs> brand. You know, and I'm out there, we're dropping ducks with it. You know, and it's, it's a pump action, so it's not ideal, right? And yeah. it's also like 20 gauge, maybe you don't have as many pellets, you know, but we're still able to drop ducks with it, you know? And so that's one thing we talk about a lot on this channel and this podcast is like kind of the the access and the entry to getting into hunting different things. And that's kind of what I'm being, because, you know, I started off just hunting whitetail over my granddad's place all year. And then after, after he passed, you know, I could tell he really wanted to kind of carry on that tradition. So that was something I was like, now kind of go full on steam. It's like, okay, what, let's do this. Let's go hunt hog. Let's go hunt birds. Let's go hunt. You know, so I'm kind of just trying to do everything now. And, uh, you know, so like in this process, I've been really researching that. And it's like, if you want to get started in something like that, just getting started and waterfowl and hunting and all that, like you said, a 20 gauge shotgun, man, we were able to drop ducks with it. Just perfectly oh, fine. You obviously, I mean, you, I, you, you, you got to know like, okay, you limit your range a little bit. It's not going to go fly as far, you know, as the 12 gauge, but you can still drop them. So. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and really all you're losing when you go from a 20 gauge or a 12 gauge down to a 20 gauge, all you're losing is number of pellets that pellets hitting with the same impact that a 12 gauge would it's shooting the same speed that a 12 gauge would. You're just not putting as many pellets out there, and at the end of the day, as long as you're accurate, you know if you if, if you hit that bird, you know where you need to hit it, especially with like big geese or something like that, get that neck and head shot on them is so crucial. But you know that 20 gauge at 40, 45 yards is still going to do the same thing that a 12 gauge will, and really and truly, I mean beyond that, your chances of being accurate with anything, you know, or very, you know, you're getting lucky at that point more than likely, but, um, you know, and getting started in waterfowl hunting, when I moved back here to Kansas from, I'd been in Hawaii for five years stationed out there. And when I got back here, I didn't have anything. Um, I had gotten yeah. rid of all my hunting stuff when I left Louisiana. And, uh, so I started from scratch and, you know, to, to go out duck hunting, man, go get an 870, get you a pair of, you know, mm -hmm cheaper in waders and a couple of dozen you know duck floaters and you don't have to be two thousand dollars into this and and guess what you can use that 870 for more than just that so you know and mm. and i still don't spend a ton of money on gear when it comes i mean i'm shooting up i don't know six hundred dollar seven hundred dollar shotgun so it's not you know that a300 ultima is is kind of the best bang for your butt gun out there it's yeah. a it's real similar to the A400 um, Extrema in features and everything, but price-wise, it's half of it. Um, so, you know, you can be smart about it. Use your money wisely when you're getting started. And, you know, you don't have to have every little knick-knack and gadget out there when you're starting because you don't even know exactly what's going to work in your area. So start with the, yeah. you know, start with the necessities, and then you can slowly add that other stuff as you go along. Now, when it comes to doing uh, like upland game birds and like pheasant and stuff like that, do you, is it the same, the same rules apply or? I mean, it's really easier, honestly, because I don't need an enclosed trailer full of crap. Um, <laughs> you know, a shotgun, a vest and a, and a good pair of walking boots 
and my dog and we're ready to go. Um, so, you know, upland, upland hunting wise, I, I, I hunt with, I upland hunt with a little, oh, five, $600 over and under 20 gauge ATI. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, the, the rest is, is just niceties at that point, because what are you, you know, you're just walking around through the grass, kicking stuff up. You don't mm. need, you know, anything crazy. You can use your same, I, I, I normally wear my gator waiter knee boots that I wear doing everything else when I'm up on hunting. Um, you know, so it's up on hunting is really nice because it, you don't, you know, it doesn't take that big investment in equipment and gear and stuff like that. So I definitely say to people, you know, get out there and get out there and tromp around and it, you know, you're going to, you're going to take yeah. some time to learn it. It took me some time to learn it. I didn't grow up up on hunting. Um, yeah. but you know, and, and to up, Upland hunting is a social deal, so you know, go with some yeah. guys that know what they're doing, have good dogs, and figure yeah. it out that way. Yeah, now, like I say, that's that's a big part of uh, learning to hunt is that social aspect of it. You know, find somebody that has experience or something. Even if it's like you don't know anybody, go go find like a good outfitter, you know, that can guide you on that path, and you can meet people. You can start there, and that's a good uh, introduction to that whole thing too. So, absolutely. You know, had you for a second there, Dean. I think I can still hear yeah. you. I'm trying to find a spot in the house that has actually good <laughs> Wi-Fi, man. Like, I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> it was so funny, too, because before, before we went live, like, uh, man, it was, like, clear, crystal clear. As soon as we went live, it's, like, pff, dropped. <laughs> a little That's bit the more tax. That's away again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Is, is I still can't hear you, man. But yeah, so like I said, it's been really fascinating to me just going to kind of learning everything as we go in there. So uh, again, like I say, with uh, your outfitter, y'all do, do y'all, y'all have y'all's own dogs. Y'all do the dog training as well. Yeah. So we do during, during the spring and the summertime um, for the past two years, I've been, I've been training dogs for other people. Um, whether upland or, or retrieving stuff. Um, this year is a little bit different. Um, one of my guides, Tonka, that's been guiding for us for a while now and, and helping out with the dog training. Um, he's, he's doing the dog training portion of it on a, on a much smaller scale so that I can add turkey hunting and deer hunting in, uh, to what we're doing on the hunting side. Um, so we still, we're still taking on a few dogs, but it's, it's a lot scaled down a lot compared to what it was yeah that's cool man and i have eight of my own dogs that i have to train so (laughs) got a lot of mouths to feed too man (laughs) yeah yeah you put your put your dogs on a special diet or anything like that or no we we feed this scoot is a it's a dog food brand out of uh minnesota minnesota wisconsin oh, that way i can't remember they're kind of a smaller company and uh their 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 big kind of claim is the copper free uh feed and i think we've been on it for close to three years now and we've, we've had really good really good success with it and the, the beauty of it is with them being a small company like if i need something from it i i like text them and the owner of the company replies um, you know, or something like that. They're, the customer service with them is just phenomenal. Oh, that's awesome, man. So, 
talk a little bit about uh like so have you always been hunting in uh, in kansas did you start off anywhere you always been right there or talk a little bit about the kansas hunting scene no, I mean, birds I... and all of that yeah so i mean i grew up i grew up bow hunting in mississippi primarily that's where i i lived there the first 17 years of my life and then joined the air force when i was 17 and um didn't get to kansas until 2012 and i I kind of came here. I had a little bit of choice in where I was going with the Air Force, and Kansas was on the list. And I came here uh, primarily wanting to deer hunt because at that point in time, waterfowling in Kansas wasn't really something that got talked about very much. Um, and I was, I, I've always bow hunted deer growing up and everything, so I was pretty excited about that. And I got out here and had a really good friend that kind of took me under his wing that I was stationed with here on base and he you know kind of showed me the ropes and of the local area and we started waterfowling around thanksgiving that first year after after we were done bow hunting and i it, i've always loved waterfowling but i'd never lived somewhere where it was so readily available and also good um because I'm in the public land here, you can literally walk in with a gun, a blind bag, and a couple dozen decoys, and, and go kill ducks without having to spend, you know, twenty grand on a boat or, you know, a really expensive lease or something like that. So that was something new to me. Um, and when I started doing that, I was like, man, you know, I, I really in waterfowling kind of took over everything else in my mind, and I just really quit deer hunting at that point, and and I still turkey hunted during the spring, but um, you know, I just, I, I just became so infatuated with the waterfowling because you can like our teal season starts around September 10th here. Um, <clears throat> and then we'll teal hunt for three weeks. And then the North zone in the state opens up for regular duck season, um, in the beginning of October. And then our zone opens up at the end of October and then it runs all the way through January and then we have Lake Goose after that. So, I mean, from mid-September to mid-February, you can waterfowl hunt the entire time with the exception of, like, one weekend. Hmm. Man. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Like, with, with, with turkey, um, I say you've been hunting turkey a while. What What is the where, – where do y'all hunt uh, the turkey at out there? Are y'all just, like, doing it like finding the forest? Do y'all – do they come out in the open? Where, where do y'all usually find them at? So, our where we are in Kansas is, is – pretty open um you know you're always you're always going to look for them in your river and your and your creek beds because that's the only place where you're going to have um trees big enough for them to roost in um so that, you're going to target them there but they they do spend a lot of time out in the open in the fields and stuff during the day here um we've really had a big big decline in turkey numbers the last six seven years Luckily, within the last two years, we in my area of Kansas, at least, we've seen a pretty good pickup of of numbers, and we're we're getting back to pretty good sized flocks now. But um, turkey hunting out here is it's a lot it's a lot more open than what a lot of people are used to. So you can do a lot of spot and stalk and and uh, kind of maneuver on them using using terrain and things like that. But you can see them from a long way off, typically. Yeah. So, what? Whenever you're turkey hunting, like I say, I, I've uh, 
Actually, no, I have it. I was going to say I did it once last year, but actually I went out to go do it, and I ended up hitting some issues with the car. But I couldn't even get out there. So uh, one of the things I started doing is – or sorry, one of the things I took with me, basically just a shotgun, had a small camo blind, backpack, all my camo and everything. Um, but as far as the turkey calls go, do you like to use like a specific kind, like the slate or something like I know I actually inherited from my granddad. One of the ones I inherited was a, a, an owl call. And a lot of people don't know, like so yeah. you could use some app call in certain places too, like a you know, to to call them in. So, what are, what are your favorite calls when talking turkey? So, yeah, as far as the owl call goes, like I I use that a lot as the locator call first thing in the morning, or uh, or just to to go out in the evening and roost them to figure out where the roost is, kind of you know set up our game plan for the next morning. Um, I use a mouth call, a diaphragm mouth call, probably. Hey, Billy Goat. Um, like seventy percent of the time, uh, I'm using a mouth call, and then I'll use a slate call. Uh, you know, a, a pot call, slate call. Uh, that's kind of my finishing call because a lot of times, you know, you can purr really well and real soft clucks and yelps on it, kind of get the birds to finish. Um, and then I'll use a, a box call a little bit, but I just about only use it on like really windy days where you've got to really holler at them um, to locate birds from a long way off. Or, you know, if they're out in the middle of a field and it's super windy and I need to cut real loud on it and kind of get them fired up, I'll use that. But, but primarily I'm going to use that mouth call and that, and that slate call more than anything. Yeah. That's one thing I have a problem with is the uh, the, the recalls is because uh, I can't put anything in my mouth. I have like the worst gag reflex known to humans. I, it's all like, I'm like <laughs> I was like that for a long time, dude. Yeah, yeah. I, I I was like that for years. Like it gave me a lot of trouble. I, I, and, uh, I actually I quit smoking and it got a lot better. Uh, but uh, that was that was a big issue I always had too. But uh, yeah, that. I don't know. I, I like them a lot just because I don't have to move to use them. So if I've got birds close by, and free. And I, yeah, that's, that's my big thing with them. Um, and then, and I, I guess I probably grew up using them more than anything else. So I'm just comfortable with them. But, but yeah, the whole, the whole gag reflex thing, I, I can't use, I have to be, there's a certain kind of them that I have to use that are a little bit smaller and a little more flexible. Or otherwise, I'll, I'll I'll gag on them too. <laughs> uh, Dean, we can hear you now. Here you go, too, man. <laughs> oh, thank God! So I'm 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 actually outside, and, and uh, my Frank and Beans are, are 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 beating me up at the at the moment. So <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm finally on here, though. So, <laughs> but, but we, I've heard, we've I've heard you, the whole conversation. That's good. That's good, man. We've got you at about like six frames per second. But hey, we've got you on, man. <laughs> so I was, I, i'm glad you're asking all the all these great questions yeah that i was uh yeah i had an opportunity to come up and, and hunt with wade and so one of the things i did want to you know let everybody listening is that if you get a chance you got to go up and hunt with them that outfitting you know people cook like you can talk a little about what you offer guys to come up because i can just speak for myself and say we had just a blast with everybody that was up there but kind of everybody about that you know what you get when you come up and, and hunt with you guys yeah so first off thank you i'm glad you had such a good time i know we had can you hear me i think we had yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, we had some decent hunting while you were here, but I think we we kind of we, we were kind of going through a little bit of a, a tough patch when you were here, but we we killed some birds, but it wasn't not lights out. But uh, yeah, we do. You know, we got a, a really nice lodge that we've been lucky to get our hands on, and um, you know, we got a dedicated dedicated cook in in there. I can't I never can decide if I should call him a chef or a cook, but he's pretty good. Um, and and you know, we're gonna eat good when you're here. It's gonna be steaks and, and uh, pork tenderloin and, and stuff like that. So. Um, you know, if even if the hunting's not the greatest those days, we're still gonna have a good time. <laughs> we actually had a good time. And, and, and the other thing too is people out there, uh, you know, hunting out of the ground with the geese. Do you recommend setting up your decoys the same as you would on water and land? You kind of obviously the wind has something to do with it, but approach your setup a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean the 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 main difference between your setup on water and land is is size a lot of times. Whereas you can, you know, like when you were out here, I think we set up some full bodies on the mud flat and maybe some some silhouettes from dive bomb or something like that. And then our you know five to seven dozen floaters out there. Whereas if you're if you're hunting a dry field, you know, especially for lesser Canada's like most of us are seeing these days, you know, you're going to need forty fifty dozen decoys just to be relevant um and really probably need more than that to do um to do really well but uh, so size is size of the spread is a big factor when you're on the water versus the field um i even on the water i mean i still want to throw as many decoys as we can i've never i've never left a hunt and said oh man if we wouldn't have put so many decoys out <laughs> probably would have killed more birds <laughs> Uh, yeah. But I've left a bunch of hunts going. Yeah, if we'd have had a bigger spread, we'd have probably done better today. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put out about as many decoys as I feel like is even remotely sane. You got to make sure the ducks know that right. the uh, the party's hot, man. And <laughs> yeah, well, especially yeah. here we hunt yeah. a lot of traffic. And, and we're, we're... go ahead, Wade. We we traffic a lot of birds in between the roost and the feed on loaf ponds and stuff so you know the more the more um, blocks we can get down there to catch their eye and the more movement we can get in the spread and stuff like that we, you know we're always going to opt for that because even if even if you're on the x and you're right where the birds want to be there's nothing wrong with getting the attention of all the other birds that are just passing by either so yeah you use a lot right. of uh dinos and i can like attest that. to the whole uh You use a lot of uh, decoys that have the movement. What do you call them, the dinos or whatever? Do you use a lot of those, or are you kind of yeah, is it matter? spinners and, and stuff like that? We use we use Lucky Duck uh, spinners, and we'll put we'll pretty much put them out on every hunt. If the birds are responding to them, we'll leave them out. If it seems like the birds aren't responding to them real well that day, we'll pull them. A um, lot of like splasher butt decoys and and jerk rigs and stuff like that. Any, anything we can you know we can use to mix and match in there it's kind of like fishing you know sometimes you just, just got to see what's working that day and and trial and error it yeah yeah what uh, 
Uh, well, well, first of all, I can attest to the whole dog thing. I have I have two of those uh, that that particularly w w won't hunt, but want to want to hunt. And so, getting a good trainer uh, or, or or studying before you get your dogs is um, I can. The, um, so <laughs> I get it. They will drink crazy. We'll train them, train them right. But one of the questions I always like to ask, and we have uh, guides on is just from your perspective, somebody that's looking to, to book a hunt, you know, are there top two, top three, or one important question that everybody should ask that guide to kind of help make that decision? Um, I mean, not the guide themselves. The most important question is to ask other people that have hunted with that guide, the questions, um, you know, I, man, it depends on where you are, but there's some states where anybody with 20 dozen dive bomb decoys calls themselves an outfitter. And, um, you know, and I get those calls every year where somebody drove out here from Connecticut or somewhere and they were supposed to hunt with a guy and he ghosted them. And, and now they're 24 hours away from home and, you know, can't have no idea what to do. So, I mean, just, do your research when it comes to finding out about the guide. And if you've got friends that have hunted with that guy um, or, or gal, and they tell you that that person is, is jam up, then I, that, that's at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Um, as far as what you're going to ask the outfitter, you know, just make sure you're asking the questions that are applicable to what you want to hunt. Um, you know, if, if, if you're if you're wanting to shoot greenheads over water and you're going to an outfitter that specializes in, you know, laying in the socks, shooting lessers in a field, you know, that's the type of thing you need to find out before you before you, you know, book that hunt. Um, you know, I I kind of most of our, our guests want to hunt ducks. I don't get very many people out here that want to come and hunt geese and you know, like we're going to kill geese as a bonus bird some days, but, you know, we're pretty much going to target ducks almost always. So, you know, if your goal is to go, you know, get under a huge spin of lesser Canada's, I'm probably not the guy you want to go hunt with most of the time. So those types of things, just make sure that what your type of, what your goal for the hunt is what that guide really excels at. What's your, uh, what's your favorite bird to eat? Um, uh, teal. I mean, as, yeah. as far as ducks go, teal and wood ducks are my two favorite, but, um, I mean, mallard, gadwall, widgeon, pintail, they're all the puddlers are pretty good. I mean, it's just, it's all about preparation. Yeah. <sighs> Got to cook it right, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, started, yeah. we started soaking ours, brining yeah. ours in salt water for three or four days. Hmm. Um, and it draws, it draws hmm. all that oxygen rich blood out of it and that gets rid of a lot of that that iron liver flavor to it um so makes it makes it i mean it makes it taste like deer meat actually so if you if you really like deer meat that's that's kind of the way to do it and then you can i mean you can do anything with it you can, you can fry it like you would deer steaks you can cube it up and put it in shish kebabs or stir fry or basically anything you want to do with it, but still don't overcook it 
Yeah, exactly. And that's, like I said before, uh, like I said, about two years ago, the first thing I ever, the first only time I'd ever eaten duck was uh, my granddad made, like, you know, he's he's from uh, Arkansas and he made a uh, turducken. And it was just like, yeah, it, you know, it, it's like you can't cook all those birds in the same way. You know, it's like the duck needs to be cooked like a steak, you know, but then the, yeah, you know, the the turkey needs to be cooked different from the chicken, anyways. So it, it was just awful. I thought, man, like, why would anybody ever eat duck, right? And then uh, once I've been working working this job, I'm working now in healthcare. I go out to Salt Lake City a lot, you know, because that's where our headquarters is. And I'm one time I was out there, I had my whole per diem allowance in front of me, so I was like, you know, what? I'm going to go sit down and have a nice steak or something. Well, I sat down at the steakhouse and uh, they had a duck breast on it. I was like, you know what? I bet you if anybody knows how to cook duck right, it's this probably fancy steakhouse. And oh my God, it came out on the plate and it almost like threw me off guard because I mean, I remember the, the, the rubber looking thing that I ate the last time. And then here's this like, it looks like a medium rare steak on my plate. I was like, holy crap. What the? I was like, do, well, I just eat it or is this undercooked? I was like, let's just eat it. And I was like, oh my God, I was blown away by how good it tasted. You know? So it's funny experience. And, and farm ducks and wild ducks aren't going to be the same either just because of their diet and and yeah. you know you'll have you'll have more fat on a farm duck stuff like that but i mean that's another thing that a lot of people kind of miss out on too if you do if you pluck your ducks and leave that skin side fat on there on the breast um you know that can add a lot of a lot of moisture and, and keep it in there and keep it from drying out on you too bad as well so that's another i mean there's a lot of if you have somebody that knows how to cook and is willing to put the time into it excuse me you can i mean duck can be fantastic uh it just mm. it takes its own own style of preparation yeah i've been meaning to buy that meat eater cookbook because like i say there's like a whole bunch of great specifically wild game recipes in there because like the, i said the, the, the two the best goose, yeah the two best goose recipes i've ever had in my entire life both come from that meat eater book um, one is the goose Reuben sandwiches. Ooh. Um, and then, and then the other one is goose pastrami. Um, mm. and goose pastrami is so good. It's not like one of those things you eat it and go, Oh man, this is great for goose. No, it's just good. <laughs> yeah. That's just, that's awesome. Man. Uh, I, I did a recipe out of there one time. It was me and Dean had shot some uh, wild pigs here in Texas and I looked up a recipe on there, and it was an apple bra- apple cinnamon braised uh, wild hog recipe. And dude, that yeah. was it was freaking amazing. It was like I felt like a fancy chef, like deglazing my pan with freaking <laughs> whiskey and brandy, you know. But man, it came out. It was so good, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that. Well, not only that, he's out there good. picking those little. He was out there picking the little the little blue no, uh, seeds off of these pine trees, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" The, uh, He's like, juniper, oh, dude, we're gonna, juniper berries. We're gonna mash these down. <laughs> yeah, juniper. Yeah, that's gonna be our that's gonna be our pepper for this. He's like, great, I'm in. <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen, but we gotta try it. <laughs> yeah, we've got some uh, little bayous oh, yeah. in the back of my neighborhood here too, and uh, those bayous, there's a bunch of uh, it's weird saying wild garlic growing out there. It's like a flower that grows up. And it's got like a star-shaped uh, flower on the top that's just all garlic. And like I picked it up, I was like, I'm like, dude, no way! It's just wild garlic. And so I was like, I love the idea of getting those like wild uh, uh, ingredients into the recipe as well, too. So, yeah, I've never had me. wild garlic before, but but it's good. Yeah, I'm, like I say, I'm about to try it this year. So. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I got that, and like I said, the juniper berries. Actually, I got the juniper berries from uh, 
a recipe from Gordon Ramsay. I was watching a thing where he was, I was looking up a recipe for venison. I was like, you know, cause venison's all right, but it's not definitely not on my top tier list of meats that I would go out looking for. But, uh, I saw that Gordon Ramsay, the way he cooked it. And one of the things he did is, yeah, he, uh, basically dried juniper berries and almost used this as like a kind of like a pepper like seasoning inside yeah. his, uh, venison recipe. And it came out and he said, it was really good. I was like, Hey, should I got on my dad's property in central Texas? We got, I mean, juniper berries out the asshole. I mean, there's just so many of them. You can't get rid of them, but, uh, yeah, I got several baggies full of those juniper berries. And like I said, I need to need to use those again this year. I gotta, I gotta look for some now. And I've never, uh, I've never tried to use those. Yeah. I'm not hundred percent sure about how to prepare them, but I think you just uh, take the fruit off the outside of them and then you dry them and almost like you would like a peppercorn. And I think you yeah. use them there. But yeah. Crush them up. Yeah try it out i i can't like i like to cook um i just never have time to like do it right so i end up not cooking very often but um yeah. but i like to eat <laughs> yeah, a lot. yeah yeah that's uh, my problem is trying to get the family to eat as yeah. well so my, my whole family is pretty like okay right. with wild game so that's never that's never you know as long as it's cooked pretty well they don't they don't turn their nose up to it um every, everybody at my house likes deer meat i've you know i i can if i do it right and cook duck the right way they'll they're pretty happy with duck um and then we all we all love crappie and and uh fish fillets so nice yeah dean you think you had a question a second yeah so yeah and then the other Oh, I know. I was actually going to say the other thing, pro tip is when you, when you uh, go on uh, any hunt, make sure you have different, uh, different sleeves for your guns. You know, that was uh, one of the funniest <laughs> things that's ever happened to me when Wayne called, we were so, five hours oh. away and we had swapped out shotguns with somebody else. And, uh, and so I told Wayne, I said, he can go ahead and use it. I got no problem. But if he sends one around through, he's got to send it back to me clean. <laughs> 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 yeah, if you're going on a hunting trip, tie a uh, tie an orange ribbon was, or something on the handle funny. of your gun case. That was a trick I learned when I was well, going was, to the airport. We'd all we'd all have the same luggage for our military luggage. So put you put you a name tape on your gun case so you don't end up with the other guy's super black eagle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, that was that was pretty that was a very unique uh a unique trick for sure but anyway uh yeah good stuff man it's uh i'm glad to i'm glad to take some time to to come on and and uh sorry about um the web on my side here it uh there's always something when we go live whether i'm getting eaten by goats or dogs barking or wi-fi not working so i think we we grew <laughs> yeah. for sure and need to get you some of that uh starlink or something man <laughs> i got i got i can do something or 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 end up at star something with some public wi-fi i don't know <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you know, i think oh, well. the i think Good i stuff, think where though, we man. hunted the day that i think where we hunted the day that you got your gun um mixed up was the i was coming back from there after hunting all day one time and it was dark that night you know it's, it's i mean there's not much out there and there's no light out there and it was the first time i ever saw starlink and i for real th thought the robot aliens were coming because 
it was just like this straight line of stars <laughs> up above me. And then they started like slowly going across the sky. Wow. And I, at that point, I mean, this was five years ago or something. I hadn't even hadn't even heard of it at that point yet. And I was like, pulled my truck over with the decoy trailer behind me, like googling what this was because <laughs> I, I I thought it like it was for real Independence Day or something. <laughs> oh, Russ. Yeah, and I'll say this. I've heard a lot of people say that's really good for <laughs> if you live out in the middle of nowhere. It's 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 uh definitely the best kind of plan a because you know, a lot of people i'll kind of you know where my dad's house was he has the uh hughes net or whatever like it, that it's like really it's about time yeah. it's about time for me to look yeah. into it yeah like i say it's like it's 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 i've heard it's pricey to get up started with all the the hardware and stuff but it's like once you get there it's like it's kind of one of the best options you know but oh well, any other questions or anything dean or it's about time to start looking into that for sure. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm good, brother. I, again, just thanks, Wade. Sorry on my end about the the, the web, but uh, thank God Travis picked up the ball and and uh, we got some good info. And I really appreciate you taking time out to come on. And, and definitely, if anybody has time or looking at Kansas, please go out and see see Wade. It, it's top notch. You'll absolutely have a ball. You'll you'll hammer the ducks some geese definitely we will eat well and have a great conversation so um i can yeah. vouch for that awesome well guys thanks for tuning in thanks for watching remember to go check yeah, out we'll Dean's be back channel next at lung crusher <laughs> yeah lung crusher 53 uh like i say if you check right down here at the bottom i got some discount code scrolling for the supporters of this channel sponsor this channel easy veins and crafted archer go pick you up some of the best broadside of the years and obviously the best fletchings ever used but uh thanks you guys for watching and uh as always keep defying the odds thanks guys